Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. Your sweat sticks and your joy is an edge, so no matter what you do, you will cut and cleave and stain. Exactly how love should be. A mark. This program features the work of 2018 writer Corbin Lewis. He spoke with curator Damon Arundel about his work. Welcome, Corbin. Thank you so much yeah, for having me. So glad to have you here. So we're going to start with uh, the same questions that I've asked everyone else. Mm -hmm. Let's begin with if you would describe your project. Yeah. The project for Jack Straw is called Hypomania, right? So it's still amorphous at this point, but there's definitely going to be a printed out book. Um, and I'm shooting for a DIY zine aesthetic which has to do with subversion in my mind, and hopefully we'll talk about that more, right? But just like Xerox put together in the height of the night vibe. So hypomania is what it calls itself, right? Essentially, this half-manic state. This has to do with mental illness. My work is centered around mental illness, bipolar, addiction, chronic pain. So it's poems investigating that, investigating the identity, politics around that. And I'm also a visual artist as well, so I have a visual element to these poems, and and to me that brings a level of fracture and almost disorder into the work, right? To have words scattered and thrown and almost vomited across the page. Again, to me that's like a subversive approach to poetry almost. I don't want something to look like your typical stanza or to look like your Walt Whitman or Shakespeare. I think I'm in conversation with something else um, and trying to split away from that in a way. So, yeah, visual... Visual fracture is a part of it, mm -hmm. um, and that and that being a way to represent hypomania, that being a, a way to represent the American delusions or the American schizophrenic consciousness. I think we have a pretty divided collective conscious right now, right? And the the, the work visually will represent that, um, and sonically as well. Can you speak to how? your work either breaks the mold or challenges the status quo or maybe does both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like we could have a whole conversation about this. The first question is, can you challenge the status quo, especially as a white male in America? Moving from there, though, I do think that almost any reading of poetry is an act of subversion, right? That in the land of commercials, in the land of big studio movies, in you know factory-made clothes, any authentic voice, any true effort to be heard, you know, I think that's like outside of a marketing agency, right? Because the status quo is we're inundated with commercials. So anything that speaks authentically against that um, is an effort towards subversion. Me specifically, I think I try to have this approach of like radical honesty. I think it's the artist's job to say crazy fucked up shit and keep people on their toes. You know what I mean? So for me, radically honest and speaking my pathology, basically, right, that I deal with um, a lot of mental illness, again, and addiction, and that'll really leave you in a distorted state, but being willing to speak on that pathology, you know, so we might better understand it and handle it, basically. Again, it's just to not repress yourself, to say the craziest thing on your mind. Mm -hmm. With some respect, you know, as much as you can, be aware of, of your audience and the people you don't want to offend anybody and, and use language in a malicious way but to speak 
to speak your dark parts so they can be navigated better. So within all of this bearing, bearing as in making yourself vulnerable, mm-hmm. um, especially with things that a lot of people tend to avoid, mm-hmm. like the plague, um, <laughs> Where is the balance, if there is one, between the pain mm-hmm. and the healing in the process of writing and the process of sharing this out loud? For me, the balance is always the equilibrium has been off a bit and I veer towards pain. And I think that, again, this idea of being taught, indulging your pathology can actually just perpetuate the dangers of it. But in the same line of thinking that all poetry could be an act of rebellion, it's definitely, for me, all poetry is like an act of catharsis, and there's a release to it. So even when I'm saying the most fucked up thing I can think of or the darkest thing, like ironically almost, that actually is an act of healing for me because it's a release, and it's about being witnessed and being heard. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to who some of your inspirations are, folks who have had an influence on on your growth as an artist, on you as a person? Uh, I don't know, the first one coming to mind right now is Kurt Cobain. Happy birthday yesterday. Just because what a sensitive person, you know what I mean? And martyred by just this toxic TMZ culture, you know what I mean? Who criticized him to death, basically, and just perpetuated uh, his own self-loathing. But then when he got on stage, it was just this screech, you know what I mean? This war call again. So I think that all that, yeah, that sensibility... I feel deeply. And of course, you know, we're in Seattle, we're from here. So that's a point of pride or a point of product of environment again. Oh, there's a lot. I mean, I came up on Jack Kerouac and the Beatniks again because I think they were very subversive for conservative 1950s time and depicted wildness and frenzy and the euphoria of writing and the euphoria of dysfunction almost, promiscuous lifestyles, addicted lifestyles. Um, that always just spoke to something genetic in me, I think, you know what I mean? Having, I do think there's an inclination towards addiction and like an addict gene, and certainly that's represented in the poem Howl by Ginsburg. Who else? Um, Doug Kearney, who's a professor at CalArts, is incredible. What he do, How he brings his level of performance and v- visceralness to the page. Mm-hmm. He's doing experimental um, visual poetry work Oh, that's how I would describe it. An experimental performance where he's like looping his voice with synths, you know what I mean, and having background videos to his performance. So he's using all ends of digital culture and all ends of performance into this powerful, raw, political, you know what I mean? He's talking about race a lot. His work is entirely about systematic oppression and using poetry to speak against that in this highly, almost distorted way. would you share something with us, please? Yeah. So this poem is called Dumpster Ethos. Dumpster of heaven, take me there. Take me to the Alabama nothing backstreet funeral of friends I let die. Trust. When I relapse, I am forgiven by the best. 26-year-old guardians that have grown to obelisk. Nobody knows better than me that life is a metronome made of switchblades. 
and a girlfriend that will put her tongue anywhere I want. So put it into my liver. Put it into my mistakes and crucify me for the ways I want to keep you. Memory. Locked up in a trunk full of gasoline. In the end, we will die in a dumpster and be taken out to the Staten Island junkyard by massive ferry boats made of wax. This is where our burials lay. Hundred-foot-tall pyres infested with crows. Every one of my friends will be commemorated with a giant torn-up American flag and skyscrapers made of Mountain Dew bottles. Plastic funeral. Jesus' name inscribed on our cocaine eulogies. There is no reason to die sober. Everything is bullets, money, and alcohol. Wow. So it's often said that art is addressing or asking the question, who are you? Mm -hmm. How does that apply to your work? Yeah, I think that question is pretty central to my work. For me... Addiction, chronic pain, mental illness, these things just rock your sense of self. They strip you of your sense of self. Like quite literally the definition of mental illness is you can't control your thinking. You can't control your sense of self. Um, That I've lost myself into binges or mania or hospital visits. And that poetry is this one way to regain agency, to find grounding. Like despite the out of control behavior, despite the neuroticism, I can say with a pen. I am a sol- I'm a soldier, a survivor, you mean a warrior, an addict. So to claim the self, to claim back the self, basically, or for me, when I've lost my sense of self to illness, you know what I mean? You want to get out of bed and go do the shit you have to do, but you can't because you're in too much pain to get out of bed. There's a, there's a, that loss of agency it basically has like led me to the Buddhist epiphany that there is no self. You lose yourself, you know what I mean? And you try to get it connected to something bigger. So that poetry in my work is, yeah, about being connected to something bigger. And again, working in a cohort, working in a community speaks to that. You are speaking a lot to the experience of pain, pain that is not just fleeting but chronic, Mm -hmm. pain that is debilitating. Mm -hmm. And there was a line from a piece that you submitted in your application, pain is a Bible. Mm. Can you speak to that? Well, pain is a book you return to, right? Pain is a catalog of experiences that you that you come back to and that are that are being opened by somebody else or being opened by yourself at all times, right? A, a widely known and read book. There's a cataloging again to pain. I think in the prescriptions we take and to the routines we have to have to deal with pain. You know what I mean? There's like certain Prayers or mantras you're going to come back to, psalms you'll come back to like a Bible, mm-hmm. pills you'll come back to, remedies, stretches, bathtubs you're going to come back to every time like a Bible. So, yeah, the repetition of pain, I guess, is how I'm answering this, mm-hmm. the recurrence. And then there's something, there is something holy about pain. The epiphany that you are temporary, that I've gotten through illness, is something sacred. You know what I mean? The, the yeah, the uh, Dolorosa, Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. You know what I mean? That was the road Christ walked. Hmm. Uh, what does your work celebrate? It celebrates survival, I think, first and foremost, the people that have kept me alive. And then it celebrates the life of people who have passed, I think, you know, hopefully through just poetic, dope imagery, mm-hmm. first and foremost. Testament and celebration to what's been lost, 
what's been dealt with. There's a celebration of American culture, too, and there's a celebration of masochism and, and drugs. There, there is a romanticization there. That's just part of it. You I mean, there's a critique of it, absolutely. But it's like, man, I was raised on microwave meals and Mountain Dew. It's all I know. And the, those, the sugar rush, you know what I mean? It's a celebration and a, and a perpetuating or a love of the sugar rush is expressed. So, yeah, those, but, but mostly the people who have kept me alive, I think, and the survival of... of illness and, and a crazy fucking world that we're in. Now we'll hear a selection from Corbin's live reading. So the first poem is called On Prospect. In the roller coaster of your mouth where I found reasons to long to split open the anatomy and the church and the gums and the gunpowder. Our bodies house something which came so fast we never gave it a name. The last time I saw you, you were sick from eating oysters and duck. You were in a hotel bed getting ready to leave Seattle for New York City. So I went across the street and bought you crackers and soda water. At the store, some middle-aged businessman talked me up and randomly showed me pictures of his daughter, who was gorgeous, but not like you. Not like a flaming bird diving into city lights. Not like a chapter book. In your hotel room, I put the crackers and soda on the nightstand and watched you lay in pain. I said goodbye and you moaned back. That was before I knew you wouldn't speak to me again. Before I knew you'd become a temple, I pray in to remember I've loved. In the months I'm alone, I think about your bedroom, how I've forgotten the smell, the color of nail polish, sex on Tuesdays that might have never happened, but somewhere in it all I know I sang you dry, held you raw, clothes pinned your blood onto the wall and tattooed my brain, beating and cracked together in October, on prospect, at Harry's, drinking each other, knowing nothing is the answer, that your eyes beg to be split, shatterproof as you were, I saw splinters. I saw oil fields and salt flats, a waterfront of dead birds. You bled spectacular, and you suffered perfect. What I mean is that your grace burns. Your sweat sticks and your joy is an edge, so no matter what you do, you will cut and cleave and stain. Exactly how love should be. A mark. All right. okay. this, this, poem has been, this poem has been said before in this room, but I'll let y'all hear it one last time. It's called uh, Can of Screams. If you've ever been haunted, then you know the word ghost is a metaphor for bad nervous system. And you know how trying to sleep becomes a redundant hallway with no doors or windows to see yourself looking out. I once drank screams out of a beer can, in a plastic bag, and a pack of camels. That's how I learned the similarity between crave and haunt is that neither one makes sense and both feel violent in their repetition. Repetition. This is why junkies are possessed. 
It's why they move like dull reflections of skin geese. And this is why drunks disappear and then revisit at 3 a.m. Because they are stuck between crave and haunt or longing and maelstrom. Every cell in their body split and jammed like traffic in a city that's being built of ash. If you've ever been haunted like I have, then you know to a certainty that the doors lock iron tweed and the rivers dry red thirst and the threadbare stains and the shotguns speak. If you know, like me, then you've seen couches melt and hot needle. You've watched hours burn for the joy of nothing. Sword swallowers are born that way. They don't circus act out of choice. They two-step for the flame and the piano and the song of crashing. Some of us live with ghosts and call them roommates. <laughs> we call them dead friends in glass. We call them shatterproof. Cravings don't die. They riot. Silently. Every night. Every year, murmuring. Thank you all. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production. The 2018 curator of this program is Damon Arundel. This episode of Sound Pages was produced by Alyssa Keen and Daniel Gunther. Recording engineers are Ayesha Ubiatilaka, Daniel Gunther, and Joel Maddox. Narrator is Alyssa Keene, and executive director of Jackstraw Cultural Center is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by Amy Rubin and Don Clement, produced through the Jackstraw Artist Support Program. The Jackstraw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. Special thanks to Larry Lawrence. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.